Good afternoon, and welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Scott Grayson. I'm the Conservation Director of Friends of the Eel River. The Eco News Report is an exclusive feature of KHSU, brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, the Eco News. Don't forget, you can find this show and other KHSU public affairs shows on the audio archives page at khsu.org. My guests today are Allison Sterling Nichols and Larry Glass. Allison is an organizer and consultant with Northwest California Mountains and Rivers, and Larry is the executive director of Safe Alternatives for Our Forest Environment in Trinity County and the president of the board of directors of the North Coast Environmental Center here in Humboldt County. Welcome to the Econews Report. Thank you. And we're here today to talk about a bill that's just been introduced by our congressman, Representative Jared Huffman. This is the Northwest California Wilderness Recreation and Working Forests Act, H.R. 6596. Why don't you tell us real quickly what the bill would do, why Representative Huffman has introduced it, then we can get into the details. Okay, great. Thank you, Scott. Initially, we took sort of your classic wilderness and wild and scenic bill to the congressman over five and a half years ago. It takes an act of Congress to designate wilderness and wild and scenic rivers. So he had the foresight, thankfully, to ask us to make it a little more complicated than that. He wanted to build a broad, diverse base of support with many different sort of unconventional partners and asked us to look for some other needs for our public lands that would be congruent with our vision that we had for helping our public landscape. So we did that, and it ended up with many different aspects, things that rose to the top, our fire management, recreation, for sure, trails management, creation of new trails, trespass pot remediation and cleanup, which we all know is an issue on our public lands, in addition to the wilderness and wild and scenic aspects. So it's a rather complex piece of public land legislation, but he's done a great job of pulling that all together, taking community input, and then introducing it last week. So if we start with the sort of headline part, the designation of wilderness and wild and scenic rivers, what are we looking at in this bill? What's the scale of it? He said it covers the four counties of Humboldt, Del Norte, Trinity, and Mendocino. Yeah, so a little bit of background on that is that when Representative Thompson did his last wilderness bill, Trinity County was not a part of our congressional district. So when we got redistricted with Huffman, Trinity County hasn't seen a wilderness bill in over 30 years since the Alps were designated. So the bulk of the acreage is over there because they haven't had that sort of attention. Well, it's funny because when you were saying the headliner, actually the restoration component has more acreage than the wilderness. But when we look at the wilderness, we're looking about 300,000 acres. The restoration component has twice that much. The bulk of the wilderness acreage is actually in Trinity County because of how long it's been since they've seen a wilderness bill. Over two-thirds of the acreage is in Trinity County. We had worked in Trinity County with Mike Thompson when he brought his bill forward, and we had been part of that bill up until about the last year of its existence before it passed. And our then-Congressional Representative Wally Herger put the gabosh on it because it is the custom in Congress that if land within a congressional district is included in some bill, that congressman sort of has pocket veto power. So he pulled that weight and said, nope, I don't want any Trinity County stuff included in your bill. So it had to be dropped. Barbara Boxer even came up with a compromise proposal about calling them salmon restoration areas, and he he resisted that as well. So we got left out of the Thompson bill. 
we're talking about here is really resolving the fate of roadless lands. <laughs> so after that, there was this process because the roadless didn't get as nearly as much notice as the second round. But there, there were these leftover lands that were they were out there. They still had great value to the conservationists out there. They had great value to the timber companies out there, too. So there was people competing for them. And a lot of this was because the initial designation under the Wilderness Act were of really spectacularly beautiful areas with very little commercial value. Rock right, and rocks ice. and ice, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So a number of these areas in Trinity County that got left out were not the charismatic rocks and ice pieces. They were forested areas that were equally important, but just not the spectacular ice-covered mountain. And maybe ecologically more important. I would think certainly of equal importance. Different. Hard to judge that one. (laughs) But when the rare two came up and and once again these all these left out pieces were reevaluated, there was some hard decisions made in the eighties and one of the things that happened with the wilderness that was added then was this hard release language that was included in the bill. So theoretically, all of what was left out at that time was available for logging and dissection in one way or another. Fortunately, the environmental movement had built up at that point and was strong enough to litigate over lots of these areas and keep many of them from being used and abused like like some folks wanted to use them. So these areas in Trinity County and probably the ones in Humboldt too, I'm not as familiar with the ones in Mendocino, but the Humboldt Trinity County ones are ones that have been fought over in court numerous times and there's been numerous attempts to log all of these that were turned away. So it was very upsetting when we thought we had them in the Thompson bill and then they got kicked out at the end because many of us have been fighting for these since the whole concept of wilderness was created in the first place. There was a term that was still operable in the 70s. Uh, A lot of these places were referred to as primitive, unmotorized (laughs) recreation areas, which... I kind of like that concept, but that allowed more things to go on than than wilderness does. And then that, that term isn't used anymore. So we, we got to this point, and then we got reapportioned into a new congressional district. So we saw our opportunity then, potentially, of picking up all these pieces that had got left behind. So when it was still a contest amongst, I can't remember how many, 14 Democrats and a couple of Republicans running for the congressional seat, SAFE and the NEC went out and interviewed all of these people. We sent out questionnaires to all of them. A lot of them came and actually sat down with us and talked to us. But one of the questions we asked each candidate was, will you help us protect all these places that got left out of the Thompson bill in Trinity County? And, of course, Susan Adams, who was a city council person from Sonoma, and Jared Huffman, who were leading candidates at the time, both were very eager to to help us protect. And then, of course, Jared Huffman won sort of hands down and then came around to Trinity County shortly after. And we reminded him that we had asked him that. He said, let's do it. And so that's how it started. And then, of course, he got this grander vision of he wanted to do one bill instead of many public lands bill. He wanted to do one. 
Folks, if you're just tuning in, this is the Eco News Report. I'm Scott Greeson. I'm talking today with Larry Glass of SAFE and the North Coast Environmental Center and Allison Sterling Nichols with the Northwest California Mountains and Rivers Campaign about H.R. 6596, the Northwest California Wilderness Recreation and Working Forest Act, which has just been introduced into Congress by Representative Jared Huffman. So, Larry, you were just talking about how the bill turned into sort of a larger collection of of priorities. And, Allison, you outlined what some of them are. A really big, obvious piece is restoration and fire protection. Obviously, it's fire season again. About half of Northwest California seems to be on fire again. The horrendous scenes at Redding are are fresh in our mind. What does this bill do and what's the strategy? What's the idea here in terms of addressing wildfires? Well, it it goes back to a fellow named Skinner that used to work for Pacific Southwest. That would be Carl Skinner. Yeah, Yeah. and he prophesied a lot of what we're seeing right now. He was a Forest Service researcher. Scientist, right, Yeah. yeah. And he, he was a fire expert as well, and he foretold what we're seeing now. And when we ask him at a number of meetings, we'd say, well, what can we do? You know, what can we do about this? His suggestion was, well, there's, there's not a whole lot you can do, but one thing where you could start was create a, uh, using the already existing Forest Service road network, create a series of roadside shaded fuel breaks. The concept of a shaded fuel break as opposed to fuel breaks like in Southern California where they just strip all the vegetation away. Up here, that doesn't work. It's erosion, all kinds of problems with doing that. Well, and chaparral grows really quickly into any space you've cleared. So a shaded fuel break, the concept is you keep the brush growth underneath the canopy relatively small or non-existent because it's shaded out. That's the concept. You do it along the roadsides. So really it's a kind of thinning. It's a kind of, but it's a single tree selection kind of uh, process where we're leaving on the site the trees that are going to be the longest living, best canopy, you know, trees. And, And this doesn't include taking any hardwoods. Hardwoods all stay in this particular prescription because they're very fire resilient. This is conifers we're talking about, and the ones that stay are the, the healthiest, most long-lived potential trees to create shade on the environment and thereby suppress. Because one thing we've learned, too, is that once you get the Forest Service able to provide something like this, they don't have the money to come back and never treat it again. So you want it to be as long-lasting and effective as possible for the action that you take. So this is a concept that we've been working on with the Trinity Collaborative. We had called upon Jared Huffman for help in dealing with the Forest Service early on because they were so resistant to our ideas. So he had become familiar with this concept by working with the Collaborative. So when he was looking for other pieces to add to his bill, those of us that are in both camps said, hey, what about this thing you've been working with us on on the collaborative? It seems like it fit right in. Because like we're all seeing right now, all of these giant fires, they all start as a little small fire. And the concept here with these shaded fuel breaks is a defensible line that firefighters can get on and possibly knock these things down before they just turn into these conflagrations that no one can stop. All you got to do is just get out of their way at that point. 
So that's the concept behind it. It's It's been done on some private land in Trinity County, and we've seen it be very effective. There's a strip along Highway 3 just outside of Hayfork where this was done. The fires burned through there a couple of years and came out of the crown and laid right down on the ground, and the firefighters were able to stop them right along the edge of the roadway there. So what you're talking about, Larry, I think it's important to underscore is not a bolder, braver way to keep fire off our forests and to prevent all fires. That That's not realistic at this point. What we're talking, desirable. Right. Well, what we're talking about is a way to live with fire, essentially, and to be more realistic about what that requires. Exactly. And potentially set the stage, once this road network would be completed, set the stage for actually being able to bring fire as a management tool. Because if you have all these boundaries set up where you're pretty confident you can stop the fire, then you can introduce it back into the landscape at the right time of the year and, and do some burning effectively. But right now, you don't want any Forest Service people running around with torches out in the forest. That would be a disaster. So let's talk a little bit about the Trespass Marijuana Grows portion of the bill and the sort of broader restoration purposes of the bill. What What's the vision there? What's the idea? As many people know, this is another issue that across the board came up in everyone we talked with throughout the region, that it's not only a public safety issue, it's obviously a toxics issue and just a multifaceted problem. And so, and, and one that Congressman Huffman has worked to remediate in the past. So we know we're not going to get any appropriations. We're not going to get any funding with this bill. The congressman's not going to, we're not looking for money. We know that's not going to happen. However, what we worked out, and we actually worked with Murad Gabriel on this, who's really the expert locally on this issue, so it was great to have his input and his help. It was to sort of create the infrastructure or sort of a vessel that could receive it's a trespass grow remediation partnership where we could receive state funds or private funds, some of these statewide taxes and funds that are being created from different legalization efforts could also help this to utilize those funds to clean up our public lands. And historically what's happened is a lot of times law enforcement will come in and remove the plants but not necessarily the infrastructure of the sites. And what folks have found on the ground is when they remove that infrastructure, water lines and other aspects of of trespass grows, it's too expensive to reestablish them at this point because of the current glut in the market and everything else. It's just too expensive. So if we can get rid of the actual infrastructure and not just the plants, we can clean those sites up completely. So we're looking to have a regional partnership that would involve agencies and tribes and conservation organizations and many different local people to help with that effort to identify those priority sites and just clean them up once and for all. And just to underscore your point about the toxic risks associated with some of these trespass crews. There was an incident just a couple of weeks ago in which a law enforcement officer in Mendocino County was exposed to carbofuran pesticide, which is you know neurotoxin with extremely dangerous stuff. This seems to be a common theme with many trespass grows. It's horrible. You know, the two things that come to mind from folks I've heard in the field is that since the Rat poison is an anticoagulant. They find Pacific fishers that are just dead, and they're just 
I mean, no, this is gross, but it's like their bags of blood. They, there's no coagulation happening any longer in their system, so they just kill over from that. And also, Murad told us of one incident that where he saw a rabbit just actually keel over on a site when, when he was doing a cleanup. Their horror, it's really extreme. So we need, to, we need to solve this problem. And this is one thing that everyone we talked to across the board was in agreement on. So, and luckily, Huffman is you know, really wanting to help with that issue. And rat poison isn't the only poison right. they use. There's, I believe the officer was actually exposed to a, a neurotoxin insecticide. Right. And he just breathed the fumes. And, right. And it made him that ill. So. Yeah, they, it's an insecticide in the broad category of what's called carbofurans, which are so toxic that we basically don't allow them in the United States for the most part. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Eco News Report. My name is Scott Greeson. I'm the Conservation Director with Friends of the Eel River. I'm talking today with Allison Sterling Nichols from the Northwest California Mountains and Rivers Campaign and Larry Glass, Director of SAFE in Trinity County and the President of the Board of Directors for the North Coast Environmental Center. Let's talk a little bit about wild scenic rivers and some of the stuff outside of Trinity County, Larry. Some close stuff nearer to my own organizational heart. That's still, still in the tr- in Trinity County, the, the headwaters of the middle fork of the eel. There you go. The eel. Right. Yeah. We've talked about wilderness already, but another aspect of this bill is the proposal to protect what are called wild and scenic rivers, segments of, of creeks and uh, streams as wild and scenic rivers. Now, my understanding of the Federal Wild and Scenic Rivers Act is basically that it prevents the construction of substantial new dams on wild and scenic rivers. So the Eel, for example, is designated as a federal wild and scenic river from Cape Horn Dam to the mouth of the Eel. And so we can't build any more big federal or state dams on the river because of that. But basically, it's a way of recognizing streams that have either wild or scenic or recreational characteristics, the three categories under the bill, and protecting them to some extent using the, the federal authorities that are available. Yeah, that's a really good summary. And in general, what we've been talking to folks about is just that it prohibits federal licensing of dams. So it's not, it doesn't greatly impact private landowners. It doesn't, it's not something that monitors homestead diversions or anything down to that micro level. It's basically, unless you're going to put in a federally licensed dam, <laughs> it doesn't affect you. But it does protect a lot of those places where the, there are threats of those larger potential development issues. And so, so those are those segments are identified and then and protected through public lands. It's also a way of recognizing these these attributes, the the outstanding values for these segments, which are pretty important. Definitely, and that was another thing that we found in talking to people throughout the region, which is why there's a fish in our logo on our website, mountainsandrivers.org. Everybody's concerned about the fish. You know, everyone's concerned about fish populations, about clean water, cold water and our tributaries being healthy and and cold sources of water. So wild and scenic designation definitely helps not only recreational opportunities for families to go swimming and drinking water and all that, but certainly also our local fish populations. Yeah, and hopefully someday we're going to actually recover our steelhead populations to the point where people can keep the fish. So the bottom portion of the South Fork of the Trinity was originally included by Cecil Andrus to stop them from building a dam just by High and Palm there. But for whatever reason, they stopped the designation at the Forest Glen Bridge. So that's what we're curing now is doing it all the way to 
that's the biggest stretch in this bill. So, Larry, you... Right, as an example of, of wild and scenic rivers and, and the classification and what, it, what it's about was back when the South Fork was originally designated as a wild and scenic river by Cecil Andress at the very this end... The South Fork of the Trinity River. Yes. At, at the end of Jimmy Carter's tenure, it was to prevent them from building a dam just below High and Palm, which they were seriously talking about doing. Unfortunately, they only designated the river up to the bridge at Forest Glen, and they neglected the whole headwaters. So that's one of the things this bill is attempting to cure, is designating it all the way to its source. Similarly, the bill, which again is H.R. 6596, the Northwest California Wilderness Recreation and Working Forests Act, would also designate some chunks of the Eel River watershed, including pieces of the upper middle eel and the upper main stem and parts of the South Fork eel, including especially the east branch of the South Fork, that are really important for steelhead, especially summer steelhead, which is a species I'm particularly concerned about, especially in the eel. Don't forget that the most interesting name of all here, the Balm of Gilead. Balm of Gilead <laughs> Creek, yeah. And wonderfully named. Ryan yeah. Henson loves that one. We'll give him yeah. a little extra note yeah. right there. Yeah, and it, you know those are really important habitats, <laughs> and additional protection it can only help for species that are really on the brink there. That raises another question, though, which is that another of uh, the purposes of this bill is to protect recreation and to provide people with places to go and enjoy themselves in nature. So what's the bill do on that front? So that wasn't that was the other sort of the not final but the other last main point. So we had fire and and pot and removal and uh, wild and scenic and, and wilderness and then everyone talked about recreation, wanting trails better maintained, wanting new trails, wanting access to places, wanting to make sure that the trails that they utilize whether it's mountain biking or whatever other activity that they don't get closed, you know, and just working with other groups on that. So we talked to a number of different recreationist groups, mountain bikers and, you know, botanists, hikers, even off-road people. We talked to everybody to try and see if they're, where the overlap is for coordination, which is just, that's one of the things about this bill that's so exciting, honestly, is that, and I really appreciate about Congressman Huffman, is finding common ground in a community that's often been at odds. And so talking to a lot of people and finding those areas of common ground has been really exciting. So we worked with the recreation and trails advocacy communities, identifying places they want to make sure are improved. And also there's a trail study in this legislation that would be, that's required or would be required that could identify sites for new trails, not just hiking trails, but mountain bike trails, motorized and non-motorized trails, a full trail study of the whole area. So in fact, this is a good example of where Congressman Huffman really listened to community input because at the Trinity County public meeting, he had a meeting in each of the four counties after he introduced the draft. A couple of folks there, Ross Molinow got up and talked about his desire for a trail around Trinity Lake. And that was the first the congressman had heard about that. And that's why he's had taken 11 months of public input is because a lot of the ideas that were presented, he came back to us and said, hey, there were some really good ideas. So now there's the potential for the designation of a trail around Trinity Lake included also, which purely came out of the public comment period. So a lot of recreational opportunities here, and we've been working with trails and mountain bike organizations in all four counties. Again, there seems to be a a common theme, not just 
around this issue, but broadly in this the region of, of a lot of people wanting trails, a lot of people wanting recreational opportunities above and beyond what are available today. Exactly. And there, an, an additional one that came up are the need for visitor centers. So that's another thing that is authorized is the ability to have a visitor center in Del Norte and Trinity Counties, multi-agency visitor centers where people can come and get maps and find trailheads and get more information to how to access these places. And so it's exciting he added that as well. And that seems like it's something that's aimed more at people who are coming from outside the region to try to check these places out, which goes to the, the question of tourism broadly and Certainly. And we've had a lot of support from local, for instance, the Redwood Regional Economic Development Commission. Thank you to Greg Foster and his entire board and other economic groups, a number of local businesses that recognize people come here to hike and then they go out to dinner on the plaza or they go shopping at Pacific Outfitters. And so there's a that aspect of our local economy. And Larry often makes a really good point that maybe you want to mention of these places on the map right now are just... Right. These roadless areas are... are you wouldn't. You couldn't even find them on a Forest Service map. Right. They're Where's the Jacob and Roadless area? Right. right. There's yeah. a, just a sort, there's of a sort of blank spot on the map. Right. What, once these are designated wilderness, they become a place, a thing with a name, and then the visitor center can direct people there, tell them where the trails are. This is how you access the places where you can stay nearby. They become a destination then. Right. And so I just want to call out the Chinkapin Roadless area because, I mean, 18,000 acres of unprotected old growth. It's probably the biggest chunk of unprotected public forest, public old growth forest left on the West Coast, maybe in the entire U.S. Mm -hmm. It's really extraordinary and deserves protection. And almost nobody knows about it. It's pretty incredible. Which is sort of a good thing, but we also right. do want to highlight these you know, local treasures that we have So, right. in a way that also maintains that level of protection. Well, I think it's really important in this particular case for people to visit it because you can't know about it till you stand in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Once you're there in the center of this, your whole perspective changes. You, I've been to a lot of stands of old growth. I've never been to anything that is like this. It's its own little universe along the South Fork. I remember maybe five and a half years ago when I first met Joseph and Susan Bauer in Trinity County when I first started working on this. I remember Susan just looking at me and saying, I'm not letting Chinkapin get lopped off this time. <laughs> she just had a little fire in her eyes for protecting that place. And you know, people have been trying for decades to protect that place. It's amazing. Yeah. So what can people do to help with this? Well, the immediate things people can do, and you, you can check this out at mountainsandrivers.org, is two main things we need are for folks to get in touch with Congressman Huffman's office and let him know how, you know, that we're grateful he cares about our public lands and, and support this effort. And we also really need folks to write into our local publications. His staff in D.C. looks at letters to the editor in every single publication, no matter how large or small. And it really helps for folks. Just a few sentences. It's nothing elaborate. You can contact me through Mountains and Rivers if you want me to give you more information on how to do that. But just a little note to the paper. It's amazing what what gets through to the congressman in D.C. And that he feels that support. He says, "Okay, my constituents want me to do this. And that sort of constant drumbeat of support really helps him in D.C. So those are two things people can do. And also you can contact me through mountainsandrivers.org and I can give you other ways to volunteer and, and support Huffman. 
It's literally letting him know that we've got his back yeah. at home because he's having to do the fight for us in D.C. That's right. That's right. And, and he really, they really appreciate it. They, they let me know when they see it. And he's asked us directly for that. So that's a really easy way for folks to get involved. Well, this is obviously not going to be a short-term project. <laughs> it's already been, what, five, six years in the making? Yeah. So we look forward to continued updates as we move, hopefully, to a Congress more willing to actually protect our public lands. And it's exciting to have a congressman who's working on something proactive and not just battling in D.C. He right. really wants to do positive things and, and be engaged in, in this sort of thing. So that's a great example of that. Thank you so much. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Scott Greeson. I've been your host for the past half hour. I've been speaking with Allison Sterling Nichols and Larry Glass from the Northwest California Mountains and Rivers Campaign. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. You can hear this broadcast again on the archive programs page of the station's website at khsu.org. The Econews Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Tune in again next week at this same time for the Econews Report.